Welcome to Authors on Tour Live, a podcast for people who love to hear about books from the authors themselves. We're here today with Jacqueline Falkemer, author of the new novel, Forget Me Not, which is the first book in her trilogy of memories. Jacqueline, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you very much, Jeremy. Now, let's jump right into the book. How would you describe your novel? I've been told the genre is touching on magic realism. It is a sweeping story of a generation of families that come from different parts of the world and by choice and circumstance are thrown together. The book really deals with all kinds of love and the love of a parent for a child and for adults and the love of nature and the love of animals. Well, that sounds sounds very interesting. I'm intrigued. Um, now, I know that if listeners want to go to your website, they can they can actually listen to you read from the beginning of the book. But I was wondering if you might mind reading a short passage from another section of Forget Me Not. Yes, I'd be delighted to. And I will choose to read again something about animals because they play a very big part in this book and in my life. So we're talking about a dog who's very old and on her last legs. Consuelo had outlived most of her offspring. In her last years, she had claimed one of the whelping boxes as her space in which she lay corkscrew curled most of the time. Maria Guadalupe Moreno coaxed her from this position at mealtimes. The bitch struggled to her feet and trotted on her spindly legs outdoors. Her patchy yellow coat revealed a network of old hunting scars. Maria Guadalupe Moreno hand-fed her the choicest bits of meat, including sometimes the placenta being rich in iron and protein taken directly from Consuelo's birthing great-great-great-granddaughters. Once Consuelo had eaten, Maria Guadalupe Moreno scooped her up in her arms. She caressed the bitch and, like she'd done once before to Felipe Salazar's forehead, placed gentle kisses upon hers. She returned Consuela to her box bed and tucked the old bitch under the cover of a blanket. Consuelo's eyesight and hearing had failed, yet each time Felipe Salazar entered or left the kitchen, she raised her head, sensing movement through vibration and smell. From the time she was a puppy, she had singled out Felipe Salazar. She adored him. She became his shadow. He was her god of her life. On the last day of Consuelo's life, both Felipe Salazar and Maria Guadalupe Moreno had been out of the house for longer than usual. Consuelo left her bed. Unsteady, stiff-legged, she went in search of Felipe Salazar. Her nose pressed as close to the dusty earth as she could get it. She followed his scent to the corral where a sortio was taking place. All eyes were on the young bull being put through his potential fighting test. Consuelo slipped under the horizontal corral pole, not into the practice ring, but into the corral where Toro de Similas was grazing. 
In his peripheral vision, the old bull must have caught sight of a moving shadow. He trundled around. With slow pods, he advanced upon Consuelo. She halted. Her body shivered in apparent confusion. Danger warned in the form of vibration from the young bull being put through his paces in the corral alongside her and from the heavy steps coming inexorably and directly towards her. Confused, her compass switched off. She did not know which way to turn out of harm's way. But Felipe Salazar turned. The film reel that was Consuelo's life slowed. Felipe Salazar was not able to reach her in time. Torre de Simulas's massive head dipped with the slightest, almost imperceptible turn of his head. The tip of his right horn sliced Consuelo open from her sternum to her crotch. At Felipe Salazar's warning shout, Toreros jumped into the corral, drawing away Torre de Similas's attention. At the moment of being sliced open, shock caused Consuelo's sight to reverse. As Felipe Salazar reached her, catching her just as her legs buckled, she looked up. As it had been from when she had been a puppy, bright-eyed adoration blazed from her eyes into his. He carried her home in his arms. His hands held closed the wound from which her intestines threatened to spill. All the while, her tail thumped against his ribs. She nudged his arm with her wet nose. She licked him. By the time he had reached the house, the thumping tail and licking tongue had ceased. Oh, that was wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Now, there are uh, some wonderful characters and locations in the story. Who would you say your favorite character or characters in the book are? Well, that's like asking which child you love the most. But as it so happens to be, my readers have told me they all adore Consuelo, the bitch. And next live human being character would be Madam, the brothel owner. And then in that passage, we also, you know, you also featured this bull who's featured at the beginning and the end of the book. And there are several other animals featured throughout, correct? There are, yes, there are. Uh, those animals happen to be animals that are species particular to Mexico, which happens to be the rufous hummingbird. The smallest owl in the world is found in that particular area of Mexico. And they all play a very integral part in, in the story. So there are animals throughout, and the story also moves through a number of different locations. Do you have maybe a favorite location that you've written about in the book? Obviously, my favorite locations are going to be Spain and Italy, and Italy in particular, which is where I live in Tuscany. And and this location, my hometown, is featured in the story. But the part of Mexico that I chose to to set the story in uh, is also a good 70 or 80 years ago and very different then to what it is today. I don't think anybody would want to go to this particular location in Mexico. Mexico, right up against the Texan border because of the drug cartels and and the violence. But from all the reading and the research that I, I did before, I regret 
sincerely that I never had the opportunity to go to that part of Mexico, which I think must have been uh, quite quite spectacularly beautiful. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you'd mentioned Tuscany, which is where you currently live. Um, and, and you even use your own home as one of the locations in the book, correct? <laughs> yes, I, I have. And I'm not sure that that was such a good thing because some of my readers have written to me and said, where can we rent a place like that for our summer holiday? We want to come and visit. <laughs> we want to come and visit. So maybe, maybe I should be putting my little house up for rent uh, to, to, to visitors. It's, it's quite special. Um, it, it was a cow barn for one cow only. And uh, during the Second World War, it was also used, because it's up in the mountains, um, it was also used as a storage place depository for armaments and guns and things like that. And then I bought the house um, about 14 years ago, and it had been renovated. It's still absolutely tiny, but um, with a view to die for of the Mediterranean and um, nestled in olive trees and orange and lemon grove and I have wild boar that traps through through the garden um, at night as well so that's also very interesting wow that sounds lovely I I might want to come and visit is that okay (laughs) you're welcome anytime (laughs) okay great now now this book forget me not it comes in at 98,000 words or, or 403 pages in printed format how long did it take you to write this book Well, it's my first book, and um, it took me two years to write. The publication of it has taken a little longer, and I guess because of my inexperience and it being my first time, really. And and what about the title, Forget Me Not? How did you come up with that? It's interesting. I I watched um, my my grandparents die, and... It made a huge impression on me. My grandmother in particular had said to me once in a very lucid moment, she actually asked me, you won't forget me, will you? And at the time I said, of course not. And of course I have not forgotten my grandmother. But only years later did I start thinking about that. And I began to understand as I grew older and lots of my friends who were older than me obviously were growing older, that many people when they die would like to be remembered for good things. They don't want to be remembered for bad things. And they certainly don't want to be forgotten at you know completely. I, I kind of linked it up to the modern day fear, well, not modern day, I think it's been through time immemorial, but everybody has a fear of being abandoned and being abandoned means being wholly forgotten, completely forgotten. And I think that's very sad. And so, and so that's how this um, title came up, Forget Me Not. Got it. I, uh, I love, I love titles with as much meaning as that. That's really beautiful. Um, and what about an underlying theme to the book? Is there one? Um, the underlying theme really is the redemption of people who, through their foolishness, might do something wrong and cause great pain for themselves and people around them. And I think the big turnaround point is at the end of it all when both parties can resolve their issues and love each other again and continue moving forward happily, healthily. 
Now, uh, earlier we mentioned that, that there are quite a few animal characters in the book, but, uh, but chiropractors are also featured heavily in this novel. Now, I'm pretty sure I've never read a book with so many chiropractors in it. Is, is this a first? Well, I'd like to say it is, but it isn't, unfortunately. <laughs> um, just recently, in, in the last year or so, uh, we've got a couple of uh, new writers that have put out uh, detective series, et cetera, et cetera, books um, that feature two chiropractors, one as a male, one as a female. But my reason for introducing um, chiropractic here is it's in a way my thanks to the chiropractic community because I had an accident years ago and I was debilitated quite severely for a good number of years and it didn't matter what I did or what doctor I went to, nothing resolved my issue until the day somebody said to me, why don't you try a chiropractor? And at that stage, I thought, oh, listen, in for a penny, in for a pound, might as well go, can't do me any harm. And for the first time in uh, close on 20 years, after my first adjustment, I got up from the table and I was able to move freely. And it was such an astonishing unexpected experience for me that I live with every day and I give thanks for every day that when I finally sat down to write Forget Me Not, I knew in my heart that I absolutely had to include the story of chiropractic. And so that's how chiropractic is a theme that runs, one of the sub-themes that runs throughout the book. Oh, that's, a, that's a nice tribute. Uh, and so what inspired you to write the book? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I was inspired. I woke up one morning, I pulled my laptop onto my bed, and before I knew it, characters, places, events, situations just came pouring out of me at a rate of rapid knots and my fingers weren't fast enough to fly over the keyboards and within six months I had a skeleton of a story of about 60,000 words and it was a real wild ride. I had no idea where the story and these events and people were coming from. I just knew that I had to get them down on paper and, and that's how Forget Me Not was written. And then what about the research for Forget Me Not? Uh, how much of that was there to do? I did a ton of research, um, basically because I'm dyslexic and I have a problem with not trusting myself. So I did research on the stuff that I already know, but just to make sure that I absolutely got it right. That was one side. The other side was doing research on stuff that I hadn't a clue about. And for that, I have to really thank everybody for their generosity of spirit and help. All those expertise people who know their subject, whether they're hobbyists, librarians, or even just specialists. And I thank them from the bottom of my heart. Now, writing can often be a, a very solitary endeavor, but once you emerge with a story, it's often nice to share that with family and friends. What do the people closest to you think of your writing and think of this book? Um, in the beginning, because it was such an overwhelming experience for me, I was kind of guided by something and a force unseen or unknown. 
I, I was a bit afraid of mentioning it to my friends and family because I thought they were going to think I was completely crazy. But after I got the skeleton together at about 60,000 words, I felt it was time to start letting close family and friends um, have a peek. And they were absolutely amazed and they were very supportive and all wanted to know what was going to happen next. And so they were um, were really amazing. They gave me the courage that I needed to believe in myself and continue writing. We also know that sometimes family and friends have a tough time giving hard-hitting criticism. So outside of your family and your friends, does anyone else give you feedback on your work when you're in the process of writing a book? Yeah, fortunately, I um, was able to go online and I joined an online critiquing community called Critique Circle. And it's an anonymous thing where nobody knows anybody's real name. You all have pseudonames and you write what you want to write. You put it up uh, for review or for critiquing. And people can be really hard-hitting, and I had to learn how to develop the skin of a rhinoceros, but it was the best learning curve I could ever have wanted. I was terrified. Sometimes when I put something up, I I didn't sleep for nights thinking, oh my goodness, what what feedback am I going to get back? But at the end of the day, it was the best school of hard knocks because those people really put me on track and taught me where I was going wrong or showed me where I was going wrong. It was absolutely fantastic. And then likewise, while other people are critiquing you, you have to do some critiquing. And I found that by critiquing other people's work was just as good, if probably not better, than just having somebody else offer their opinion on mine. Because in critiquing other people's work, you can really understand what you're not supposed to do in your own work. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yes, it it makes a lot of sense. Um, So after the writing, I know that the one major thing that happens between writing and publication is the book cover design. And and I notice you have a very beautiful book cover. Uh, Who designed that for you? Oh, the book cover is is really a shining a shining piece, and I have to give all thanks to Derek Murphy um, in the states, who is a very uh, talented man. He calls himself the creative indie, so he specializes in helping independent authors and publishers like myself to try and do the very best they can with their book and present it to readers in the very best possible way. And so all thanks to Derek um, Murphy. And then once a reader opens the book, there also needs to be beauty inside. What about the typesetting? Who did that for you? The man who did the typesetting is called Jeremy Meek. His company is called Fifth Street Design, and he is an award winner of over 120 international and national awards for typesetting. So I was very lucky to have him typeset Forget Me Not. Great. Now, I mentioned in the intro that this is the first book in a trilogy. So so tell us what's coming up next for you. What are you working on? 
I'm not sure um, in the third book. I have no idea of the third book, which would be the last book yet. It's a complete blank for me. But the second book in this trilogy, which is called Memento Mori, meaning Remember Death, is going to be located primarily in Italy, in the Alps, and in Austria, in particular Salzburg. I'm going there next week, in fact. And it is the story to remind people, in a macabre way, I suppose, but to remind people that death comes at the most unexpected times and often when one least expects it and how it comes and how it affects people and the knock-on effect it has on people's lives and how it changes the course of people's lives. It also happens to include um, a very particular um, group of um, soldiers called the Alpini, which come from the Alps here in Italy. And um, there's quite a bit of history on that, and it touches on the Second World War and the Eastern Front. Uh, sounds very interesting. Um, and in the meantime, where can readers buy Forget Me Not? Well, Forget Me Not currently is available as an ebook. So if one goes to Amazon.com, and I suggest that in the search box type in my name, Jacqueline Falkmer, because there are a lot of um, texts and books written with the title Forget Me Not. So if you write my name or type my name into the search box, Jacqueline Falkmer, my book, Forget Me Not, will arrive. And the paperback book will be available at Amazon as well from the end of June. Once again, we've been speaking with Jacqueline Falkmer, author of the new novel Forget Me Not, which is the first book in her trilogy of memories. Jacqueline, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much indeed.